Last week, we talked about the betrayer. This week, we're talking about the cross. Next week, we'll talk about the resurrection. Of course, next week's Easter. Uh, We're beginning to have more people and more people come back, and we're grateful for that. Good to see a good crowd here this morning, and uh, it's good to see faces. Somebody whistling? (laughs) Sounds like it. Or their teeth. They need to adjust them or something. I don't know. (laughs) A politician awoke in a hospital bed after a complicated operation and found that the curtains were drawn around him. He asked, why are the curtains closed, he said. Is it night? A nurse replied, no, it's just that there's a fire across the street, and we didn't want you waking up to thinking the operation was unsuccessful. (laughs) Amen. I remember, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17 says this, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. I'm grateful for the cross. I, I know that as a young boy, one of the first things that stuck out to me, I, I remember I went to the movie, is at the Fountain Square Theater. That was years ago, uh, covered wagon days, you know. And uh, I remember seeing the robe. How many of you seen the robe? And I remember they were crucifying Christ at that time, and I didn't know anything about it. But it, that burdened me, and it bothered me, that this guy was being tortured like that. And that, that never, never, ever left me. Now, since I've been saved, I've seen the passion. <laughs> Everybody's seen the passion, of course. It just moves you. You know, we write, we talk, we sing about the cross of Jesus Christ. We lift it up, but in reality, what we've done, we've kind of domesticated the cross. Uh, we've kind of make it in fashion, uh, the cross. And uh, even at times, we romance <laughs> the cross. Uh, I, you know, loving the cross and everything. And it actually, as somebody said to me the other day, it actually, if you don't watch it, that we take away from the literal cross to create an idol cross. And we worship that idol cross rather than the true cross of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, one of the reasons he was trying to do away with the Christians uh, before he got saved was he couldn't understand the cross. Uh, He said, that's wrong about that cross. To believe in a crucified Savior, Messiah, at that time was considered foolishness to the Greeks, the Gentiles, and it was a stumbling block to the Jews. To the Jews, the cross was a sign, a symbol of reproach degradation, humiliation, disgust. The cross to them was repugnant. It was obscene. And to think of a crucified Messiah was a contradiction in itself, in its terms. Now think about that. Messiah, in the Jewish mind, was thinking of somebody of royalty, of strength, of power, and triumph. To the Jews, crucifixion speaks of weakness, blasphemy, defeat, 
even a curse. So how could you believe in somebody that was crucified, they thought. PBS television, a narrator, said this, Christianity is the only major religion to have at its central focus the suffering and degradation of its God. To the world, it's foolishness. To the Jewish people, it's a stumbling block. So let's just look at, just for a couple moments here, about the cross. We remember the night he was betrayed. He's in Gethsemane. He was in great agony. I looked up that word in the Greek, and it has the idea of a violent effort. It means engaged in combat. In other words, when he was in Gethsemane, he was engaged in a warfare, a spiritual warfare that was taking place in his heart and life. It states there that he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood as he prayed in Gethsemane there. They say when a person experiences extreme shock, extreme stress, they can have hemohydrosis. And the Greek word actually is hydros. That's just the Greek word. And it means this, where, when one leaks blood into their sweat. <laughs> and so he, he, he sweat as drops of blood as that was taking place because of the great, not just the shock, the stress of that moment. You remember, he even asked the Lord, Lord, if you want to remove this cup. And so it was a real battle that was taking place. We know the story. Jesus was betrayed by Judas. Then he was arrested by the guard. He then went to six trials. He went back and forth to individual people. At one of those trials, he was before Herod and his men, and they put a scarlet robe, scarlet robe upon him. And they mocked him, said, Hail, King of the Jews, while they smacked him around some. The Sanhedrin then condemned him to death. Pilate permitted him to be flogged or scourged at that time. Then Christ was led up to Calvary, Golgotha, and there he was crucified. He was nailed to the cross. I did a little study on that scarlet robe. Uh, the color of it is like a red purple to me as I look at scarlet. Isaiah 1.18 says this, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet. He identifies the scarlet color as sin in that verse. And when Jesus took that robe on, symbolically, he was taking on the sins of the world. And then it mentions the crown of thorns. Now, thorns were about one and a half to two inches long. And thorns come from the earth. Now, the reason that's important is that when the first Adam, when he sinned, God said, cursed is the ground. And so when he put on the cross of thorns, it was as if symbolically he was taking also on that curse of the world up on that cross. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. So he took even the curse upon himself. 
Now we know the nails were about seven and about seven inches long. They were long and come to a sharp point so that they could drive it through his wrist and then go through the wood and then on the other side bend it over. Then that way they could attach him to the cross. Somebody said, did he suffer much? Was it a real severe thing? Well, the Bible says, Isaiah 50, verse 6, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. They plucked his beard off and hid not my face from shame and spitting. And then it states this in Isaiah 52, verse 14, as many were astonished at thee, Christ, his visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. In other words, Christ, when they got done with him, he was disfigured. He had a different form in his face and body. He was unrecognizable at that time. There's a reason some of them had trouble recognizing him. He did not look the same after the crucifixion. At Calvary, then, that's called the place of the skull. I've seen it. It has a rock formation where he would be crucified, and you can see the eyes and the mouth, actually, in Jerusalem there. And uh, when we went to Israel, we saw that. And you could really detect it. It was right there. And uh, I believe it's the same place Abraham offered up Isaac. It's the same mountain range. They just cut like a gulf between the mountains there. And if you remember that story, Abraham said God will provide himself a lamb. And at the cross, it was God himself that was sacrificing himself. And then on the cross, Psalm 22, verse 14, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax it is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. And when you read those verses, you can actually feel his pain, his dehydration, the physical difficulties that his human body is having. And then there is those watching in Psalm 22, verse 16, 17. For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. And we know that around the cross, those religious leaders were there. The dogs could refer to the Gentiles. But the religious leaders are gloating. The criminals are there. The curious are there. They just kind of pull up a seat and sit down and say, we're going to watch him die. His companions, a few. I believe there was Mary and some of the other women, the disciple whom Jesus loved. You think that's John. That's okay. I personally believe that it's Lazarus. Need to do a study on that sometime. But also at the cross, there's a spiritual darkness. Isaiah 59.2 says this, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. 
In other words, there's a separation. He's all alone. You remember he said on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? At one point, for the first time in eternity, the Father and the Holy Spirit turned their back upon the Son because the Son became sin for us. He did that also to fulfill Scripture prophecy that he would say that, as Psalm 22 says. Psalm 22, verse 12 says this, and many, uh, now notice this, many bulls, remember the bulls there, many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me around. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion. In those two verses right there, it mentions the bulls. And if you do a study on that, that's referring to the religious apostate leaders who represented Satan. The bulls of Bashan. Bashan was the land of the giants where Goliath and a lot of the tall people where they came from. But it also mentioned at the end the lion. And the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Amen. And I'm sure he was there when Christ was crucified. <laughs> and I'm sure he is gaping at him and just thinking he's got it done. We all understand this. There was an epic battle happening between Jesus Christ and Satan on that cross. It was prophesied, Genesis 3, 14. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Now get this next verse. And I will put enmity between Satan, thee, and the woman, and between thy seed, Satan, and her seed, which would be Christ one day. Her seed, Christ, shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And that takes place upon the cross of Calvary. Upon the cross, Satan dished out everything he had upon and against Christ. At the end of the battle, only one power had won and had the victory. Satan thought it was him. I killed the Son of God in his mind, but in truth, it was Christ who won the battle. Because of the sacrifice of Christ, the Father accepted that sacrifice as a once-for-all payment for mankind's sins. And because of that, Christ rose from the grave alive. Amen? God kept that secret from the devil. It states in 2 Corinthians 2.8, and that's not the verse I want, that's okay, but 1 Corinthians 2.8, I guess it is then, guys. But he hid it from them because if the devil had known the accomplishment of Christ on the cross, he never would have had him crucified, right there, which none of the princes of this world, the devil and his legions, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So 
God kept it back and took Satan in his own craftiness. It looked like Satan won. Christ dies upon the cross, but in reality, the work of Christ defeated Satan himself. Amen? On the cross, Jesus suffered sin's punishment. He took sin's wrath. He absorbed it. He withstood it, and he survived it all. And I ask the question, why did Jesus do that? Well, I know this, he satisfied the, the Father's justice. The wages of sin demands death. Law says sin brings death, and Christ fulfilled that, he died. And when he became sin for us, he took our place. He took our sins. He stood in for us when God judged all sin that included ours. Why did he do that? Romans 5, 8, very simple. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The reason Christ went to the cross is for you and for me. So that you can be saved and I can be saved and our sins can be forgiven and we can go to heaven one day. That's why he did it. And on the cross, Jesus died for us. Somebody was asking me this morning, and it's true, and he shed blood. It didn't just take the death of Christ, it took the blood of Christ. Ephesians 1, 7 says this, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. It states in chapter 2, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. How could Christ's blood be able to do all of it? Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Now get this. To feed the church of God, which he, God, hath purchased with his own Blood. Amen? Because it's God's blood. I personally believe that Christ, when he ascended to heaven, before he could be touched as a priest, took that blood and sprinkled it up on the true tabernacle, the heavenly tabernacle on the mercy seat. And it's still there today. On the cross, just before he died, he said, John 19, 30. When Jesus, <coughs> Jesus therefore had received vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. It states there, it is finished. Back in the old days, when you did your time and you paid your debt to society, they would put a, an official note on the, the jail cell, the door, to telestai, and it means paid in full. And when Jesus Christ on the cross said, it is finished, he said, to telestai. <laughs> it's been paid in full. Jesus faithfully completed his purpose for coming, to be able to have the fulfillment of requirements of a finished work. Nothing else is necessary to be done. For a person to be saved today, it's not what you do, it's what he's done. Just believe that. Just believe and he'll save you. That's enough. 
And I've said before, but I love it. It's true. Jesus didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. The reason, the purpose, redemption's price has been paid. It is finished at that time. On the cross, usually it would take two to four days for a person to die. A few could last up to nine days. But Jesus Christ lasted a few hours. What's the reason behind that? Well, we could argue, well, look what he went through. True, however, you need to understand, <clears throat> he was in charge and control. John, or, uh, John chapter 10. Therefore, doth my father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh from me, but I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. Amen? So the reason Christ went, he said, it's time, I'm leaving. <laughs> My body's going to die right now, just like I prophesied it would. And Christ died, and he was buried, and three days later he rose from the grave. And the crosses work physically on Christ will always be there when he is seen in eternity. Revelation 5, 6 says, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and out of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, now get this, as it had been slain. That's all I wanted to see show there, guys. As it had been slain. John chapter 20, verse 26 said, In his glorified body, and after eight days again the disciples were within, and Thomas with them, then came Jesus, the door, doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto ye, you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing and Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. That will be seen for eternity as a reminder of what Jesus Christ accomplished on that cross. Now the lesson for us today is that we're born, we're given a sinful nature. Each day we live that out, by the way. I don't have any problem sinning, do you? <laughs> We live it out each day of our life. And that sin nature, though, was given us by somebody else. And his name is Adam. Adam, as the head of earth, the representative of earth, is the one who gave it to us. Let me explain like this. David. David went and he fought Goliath. And David stood in for Israel. David represented all of Israel. He went up against the enemy, Goliath, who stood in and represented all the Philistines. At stake, the winner takes all. And the losers are to submit to the victors. We know that because God was with him, David won that. But David represented, and by whether he won or lost, was dependent on the whole nation, for the whole nation upon what David would do, win or lose. Likewise, God chose Adam. 
to be the head of earth in his battle against sin with the devil. Adam represented mankind. When he had to make that decision, the title deed to earth, the whole human race stood or fell with Adam. Adam lost, so all his descendants became sinful. He passed along that sinful gene unto his children, they unto their children, they unto their children, unto your parents, unto my parents, unto us. And as a result of that, we're sinful. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men. Why? For that all have sinned. Sin brings death. We're all sinners. We die, don't we? You know, you consist of body, soul, and spirit. So when you die physically, you still have an eternal soul. And if you die as a sinner without the finished work of Christ being a part of your heart, belief, when you die, your soul will go to hell one day. So God wants us to understand this guilt. Another person made us sinfully guilt, guilty, and that was Adam. Adam's act, he represented us all. And when he lost, we lost Amen? Likewise, somewhat the same principle. It's by somebody else's grace and mercy and sacrifice that has made it possible for us to have our sins forgiven and become a child of God to live with him forever. Our hope has to be in him, in his finished work. Christ came to undo what Adam did. By one man, Adam, came sin, thus death, physically, spiritually. But also by one man, Christ came for forgiveness and life if we believe in his work. States in 1 Corinthians 15, 20. Now, is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept? For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. What Christ has done for us if we would receive that by faith, have heart belief, I believe it, because the word of God teaches it, that Christ died for our sins, he was buried, he rose again, and that alone is sufficient, is enough to save me. It's not for somebody else, it's for me. I'm the guilty sinner. I need a savior. I have to look outside of myself. And when I look outside of myself, there's Christ standing there on an old rugged cross saying, I did it for you. And if you would believe that, Romans 4, 
25 says this, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. He says, chapter 5, verse 1, therefore being justified by being baptized, by joining a church, by giving your money, by keeping the commandments. Doesn't say that. By faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 3, 9 states it out, and being found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You see, when I say I acknowledge I can't save myself, I need save, I'm a sinner, but I do believe who Christ is, it is finished, what he did on the cross, and his re- that's enough to save me. I'm believing it for my soul. And when I do that, 2 Corinthians 5.21 takes place. For he hath made him, Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we, when we believe, might be made the righteousness of God in him. He takes my sin and gives me his righteousness to my account. Now figure that out. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, and I close. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The key there is to be in Christ. I've given the illustration 16,034 times. (laughs) In Adam, I'm a sinner. Lost, no hope, hellbound. But I hear about Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross and his resurrection. I'm going to put my faith in him and what he's accomplished for me. And when I believe that for me in my heart, at that moment, the Spirit of God reaches over here. He takes me out of Adam. And he places me into Christ. Old things are passed away. I'm no longer in Adam in sin going to hell. Now I'm in Christ. Sin's forgiven. A new creation in Christ. Guaranteed going to heaven. I did that at the age of 24. The greatest decision that I've ever made in my entire life because it determines my whole eternity. And I say to you today, believe on Christ and his work and that alone. And he'll save you right in your seat, right where you are this moment. Let's bow our head and close our eyes. And as we have our heads bowed just at this this moment, You say, I want to be saved. I want my sins forgiven. I do believe that Christ is the Son of God who died for me and rose again. Just say in your heart to God right now, just tell him, say, God, I believe. I believe in your Son. I believe in his work for me. I'm not going to trust anything else, just what Christ did for me. Just tell him that right now in your heart. Right where you are, right now. Just tell him. 
My friend, the cross is for all of us. And for we that are saved, may we never make it casual. May we always hold it in high regard of what our Savior has done for us. Father, I ask you to bless the people, open their minds and their hearts once again, illuminate it, that we might see our Savior on that cross. All because of us and some other reasons, but mainly for us, the sinner. Thank you that you loved us that much, that you were willing to go through what you did. May we never, ever get over it. In Christ's name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Let me just say that if you're here this morning, and while we stopped, and you said you told God you believed in Christ, and you meant it in your heart. I have a little book here, Growing in God's Grace. It's a great little booklet, and it'll help you in your new walk. And so when we dismiss here in just a second, please just come up and say, I'd like to have a book. I'll give it to you. You can leave right at that moment. But please get one. It'll help you in your new walk in Christ. We hope that you received a blessing from today's broadcast. We would love to have you to visit us in person. You can watch us live and view past services on our website at gpnd.net. For more information, please visit our website or contact us by phone. Until next week, may God richly bless you as our prayer.